Welcome to East Brainerd, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Hope it's been a great weekend for you, no matter what you've been doing. And whether you are here on our campus, whether you are watching us online, we thank you for making us part, part of your weekend and part of your day. It's good to see you. It's a, great, uh, man, it's a great time to be alive and live in Tennessee. Is that right? <laughs> I, I th when Mr. Mark says it, everybody gets all excited. I just thought I would try it. I know you know I don't mean it from the heart. I know, I know. That's how it is. But I was surrounded last night by a lot of people with Tennessee gear on, and I just thought I would try it out and, and see. Hey, last week I introduced a new teaching series that we're calling Squeezed. And we're calling it squeeze because each and every generation, there are followers of God who, who end up living with a tension that comes from swimming against the current and, and trying to figure out exactly how it is they're going to live their life. Believers trying to orient their thoughts and their actions through a God lens, well, they can't help but then run in conflict with a world and a culture and a society that at best ignores God and then at worst well, rejects that very same God. And because our humanity craves acceptance, and because we want people to like us, and we want to have a group that we can call our own, what we end up doing, oftentimes we give in to the pressure to reorient our lives around culturally accepted standards and thoughts and, and behavior. And so the Apostle Paul addressed this reality when he wrote to Christians who were living in, a, in the midst of a pagan and hedonistic culture. And he wrote to them and he said, look, don't conform to the patterns of this world. And I love how J.B. Phillips describes Paul's meaning by saying, don't let the world squeeze you. Don't let the world squeeze you into its, into its mold. So I told you last week that I can't help but think that, that we're a lot like Play-Doh. Remember this when you were a kid? Right, you remember being able to... Um, go to preschool and get into kindergarten, and man, it was great when it was Play-Doh time, and you got to get all the fun little colors and, and all the different things that you could mash and, and make, and, and so we're kind of like that because our society ends up trying to mold us and trying to conform us into its choosing, into what it says that we should look like and how, and how we should be. And just as we began to take on that, that new shape, just as when we began to take on that new form, there's, there's some kind of, of new TikTok video that comes out, or there's this new podcast, or something that happens that pulls us in another direction, and it begins to, it begins to roll us, and it begins to cause us to look differently than what God's intent was. All the, because of the latest fads, all because of the latest beliefs, all because of the talking points that are that are given to us and said, this is how you should live. And so we're squeezed. And, and so even though it's fun to dig into this stuff and it's fun to end up making all kinds of different shapes, and Wesley did a great job last week, he and Mary, of, of, of making something for us. And somebody said, why didn't somebody just make a, a nice little round ball? And so that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to show you my, my Play-Doh skills. This, this is what I could do when I was in, when I was in preschool. I, I could just take Play-Doh and I could just get it, and I could just roll it in my hands, right? That was the extent of what I was, of what I was, able, what I was able to do. And, and this is what happens each and every day of our lives. We get out of bed, and all of a sudden, the culture starts to roll us around in its hands, and, and we begin to take on the mold that, that it wants. And we feel this, feel this pressure and until something else, like I said, comes along, and it just squishes us, and it just smashes us into another mold. And then something else starts to work on us again, and... 
it gets pretty, I don't know, it just gets pretty tiring, doesn't it? To always feel like that we have to be something else, that we have to act like somebody else, that we have to, to be somebody else. Have you ever felt the pressure of being squeezed into a mold that, that you really didn't want to become? Perhaps, I don't know, truth is, maybe you're probably squeezed and you're not even aware of it. That's why the Apostle Paul would write to Christians and, and he would write to them and say, be very careful. He would say, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as, as wise. The original wording here means for us to, to be careful how we walk. It's like having a big dog and a small yard. When you go outside, you have to be careful where you walk, right? I mean, you get a big dog and you get a small yard, you just can't run outside and, and just be like, I'm going to go play in the yard. No, you, you've got to make sure you are careful everywhere that you're stepping and what you're doing. You've got to be careful. And he says, this is how it is with your life. You've got to be careful where you walk. You've got to be careful what you watch. You've got to be careful what you're listening to, what you're seeing, those you're spending time with, everything that's going on. He says, don't be foolish living as if you think nothing matters and that there are no consequences. Instead, instead he says, we should be making the most of every opportunity. Literally, he says, we should be redeeming our time. Redeeming our time and, and owning the moment. We should take advantage of every single season of life that we're in. There's got to be an intentionality that is a part of us where we take advantage of each and every conversation, every relationship that we have, every job that we're a part of. We're taking advantage and we're owning it. We can't have this mindset that says, you know what, when the kids leave the house or when I get out of college or, you know, when I get that next job or when I retire, well, then that's when I will, that's when I'll start being a little bit more careful. He says you can't wait, you can't do that because he recognized that, look, you've got to be careful because the days are evil. Even in Paul's time, he knew that it was not a culture that was in favor of those who were following after God. This was not a godly culture that they were a part of. And when he talks about evil, he's not talking about evil as it pertains to character, but evil as it pertains to the effect and the influence. He says if you're not careful... If you're not focused in each day, then what's going to happen is you're going to suffer the harmful effects of living in a culture that does not recognize or even care about the things of God. Therefore, he says in verse 17, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Guys, culture would love just to squeeze that understanding right there from you. Culture would love to take that verse right there, that, that verse that you've heard before. Don't be foolish, but understand what God's will is and what his purpose is for your life. And culture would love to just take that and just begin to squeeze on you and say, that's not who you're going to be. You're going to be somebody else. Love to make you think it's all about you. We call that being anthropocentric. It's human-centered, as opposed to theocentric, which is God-centered. But like we learned last week, unlike Plato, unlike Plato that doesn't have a choice as to what it becomes, it's totally dependent on whoever is mashing and pressing, we have a choice. We have a choice of, of who we are and, and the shape that our life takes. And a great example of this is witnessed in the life of a young guy named Daniel. When he was around 16 years old, he was transported along with thousands of other Jews to be slaves in Babylon. And Daniel then found himself in a foreign culture that promoted sensual pleasure, idol worship, and all kinds of just moral decadence. 
And it was the expectation that the conquered Jewish people would be assimilated into the culture of their conquerors. I mean, that's just what happened during those times. And so Daniel and his fellow captives would be squeezed into the Babylonian lifestyle. So the expectation was that for three years, Daniel would spend time learning the Babylonian language. He would learn their history. He would learn about their gods. He would be stripped of his Jewish identity. His purpose would be taken from him, and a new meaning to his life would be given. His situation was bleak. His resistance was going to be futile. There was no resistance movement. There was no government that he could call on for any kind of relief. He had no hope. But look at what we're told. We're told that Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He made a choice. You see, he was given the choice between being squeezed into the mold of a culture whose thoughts and practices were inconsistent with his faith. And when he was given that choice, he resolved to break the mold. Now, the first way that the Babylonians attempted to squeeze Daniel and his fellow captives was by erasing their identities. We're told this at the beginning of Daniel's story, that he and his friends, Ananiah and Michelle and Azariah, were each given new names. Now, you guys know this. Names are important. I mean, names mean something. They, they identify, and, and names separate, and names tell a story. And when something is important to us, we name it, right? I mean, take our sports teams. We don't just support Tennessee and, and Georgia. We support the Vols and the Dogs. Some people roll tide. Others call the Hogs. We watch the Titans. We live in Braves country. We understand what it means to, to name something and have that name mean something important. Now, some of the best names are minor league baseball teams. We live in Chattanooga. We're the Chattanooga what? Lookouts. That's right. Now, if you were to be in Montgomery, you could go watch the Montgomery Biscuits. Good. There's a new team in Huntsville. Do you know their name? The Trash Pandas. Yeah, Trash Pandas. Anybody know what a trash panda is? It's a raccoon. Yeah, it's a raccoon. Um, there's the Savannah Bananas. And I was introduced to a new one uh, this week. I, I end up in Little Rock, Arkansas, and watch the Arkansas Travelers. Now, now Travelers, that's not, a, that's not a strange name. But it was their mascot. Their mascot is a swamp possum named Oki. A swamp possum, guys. I mean, that is the mascot that they have running around the park taking pictures with children. Well, the few children that would take a picture with a swamp possum. I mean, who would want to get your picture made with that, right? His name is Odie. Odie the swamp possum. You can find him in Little Rock, Arkansas, every single, every single home game. Get him off. Get, get him off. Go back to that verse. Yeah, Daniel resolved. Let's, let's get to that. Daniel resolved not to defile not to defile himself. Go ahead, get rid of him. There we go. All right. Good. <laughs> but we love to name critters. It's scary. I know. We love to name critters. Anybody, um, you got some weird pet names? Not, not like for your spouse, but I'm talking about like, you know, your furry critters. Do you have those pet names? I had a dog named Fuzzy because, well, he was fuzzy. I mean, he was just covered with all kinds of fuzzy hair. Uh, wasn't real creative with my names, but at least I did better than Miss Tanya. She had a dog named Dog. Yeah. She did. Hey, Dog. And they all came, but, you know, 
One was hers, and she was happy, happy about that. But, you know, the most important names, I guess, are the ones that as parents we give to our, our children. How many of you know why you were named what you were named? I mean, how many of you know? So, some of you? Oh, we got some of you that know. You're like, hey, I, I, you've got that connection with your heritage, right? You, you know why it is that you carry the name, and it's something that's important to you. Uh, when we named Emily, we named her after her great-great-grandmother, who was born in 1898 and then lived to be 101. Now, I thought we were going old school. Man, I, I thought we were reaching back into history, and we were pulling one of those, you know, old, you know, retro names. We are going to pull it out, only to find out that in 2001, the number one girl's name, Emily. Yeah, it was. Um, Micah. Micah is named Micah because, well, an ex-girlfriend named her son what I wanted to name Micah, and uh, Tanya said no. I don't, I don't, I had to, so I had to come up with another strong biblical name, and and I, I, Micah, I think you look like a Micah. I think that that is, couldn't think of you being anything else. Thank your mom. Yeah. I was supposed to be named Mindy. Yeah. After one of my dad's grandmothers. Now look, don't judge. My mom just knew I was going to be a girl. I mean, they didn't have those, you know, 3D ultrasounds back then where, where you can find out, you know, boy or girl. Um... I guess Christopher was the name of the doctor. I don't know. I, uh, but that was what I, I came home as Christopher, not Mindy. And I still thank my dad. I've been appreciative of him all these years for the fact I did not come home in the dress that mom took to the hospital. Names are important, guys. Names are important because names separate us. And it, it's why the, the Babylonians, the first thing that they did, they get Daniel and all of his buds together and they change their name. And so Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was named Shadrach. Mishael was named Meshach. Azaniah was called Abednego. I don't know, maybe you're thinking, well, what's the big deal? People change their names all the time. If you lived in the 1980s, John Mellencamp never could decide if he wanted to be known as Cougar or not. Later on, Prince dropped his name in favor of a symbol. Puff Daddy couldn't decide if he wanted to be P. Diddy or just Daddy. Or P. But these names weren't given for entertainment purposes. It wasn't about street cred. These names were meant to obliterate their Jewish identities. You see, each of these four guys had a name that spoke to God's claim on their life. Daniel, well, that name means God is my judge. Hananiah means the Lord shows grace. Mishael's name asks who is what God is. Azariah means the Lord helps. Their names were a constant reminder of who it was that they belonged to. And so the Babylonians decided to change their identities in order to change their thoughts, in order to change the way that they thought about themselves, the way they thought about their people. Each new name would serve to focus these young men's, their minds on their current situation and on the current condition that they found themselves in. Belteshazzar means Bel, who was one of the gods. Bel, protect his life. Shadrach means I am fearful of God. Meshach asks who and what is Aku. Aku was another god of the Babylonians. Abednego means I am a slave to Nebu. The new names mock their Jewish heritage. 
They replaced Jehovah God as the focus of their identity. You see, the Babylonians understood that what matters most is the name that is written across the heart and the minds of a people. You see, what we believe about ourselves influences every decision and action. So what I want you to think about just for a few minutes here is what is your name? What is your name? Not the name that's typed out on your birth certificate, but the name that is stamped across your heart. Perhaps you were labeled years ago. You were called stupid and ugly, fat, and you still see that name as your true identity. Perhaps you've let sickness define you. Cancer or diabetes or MS is not only your disease, but it's also your identity. You might have a relationship that defines you. You see yourself as a husband or a wife, an ex, a sister, a brother, a boss, an employee. Perhaps it's rejection. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's betrayal. Those things have become your identity. You may have let circumstances determine your name. Maybe it's the death of a loved one, a tragedy, bankruptcy. All these things have served us to prove who you are. And that name, the name that you allow to label you, well, it often titles the story of your life. What you believe in dictates what you live out. And this explains why the number one goal, even of our culture, is to attack your identity. Our society would like nothing more than to give you a new name, a name that has nothing to do with the God that you serve and the God that created you and the God has redeemed you. So we're constantly told to look within ourselves. Look within yourself and, and find your purpose. Go ahead and pursue the things and desires that, that you find most fulfilling. TikTok videos and influencers tell us that we need to enjoy ourselves because that's the highest goal in life. That we should believe whatever it is that we want to believe and do whatever it is that we want to do. That our identity must be tied to our success. Our identity has to be tied to our sexuality. Our identity is all about our possessions. Our identity is all about our physical appearance. And all this sounds, man, all this sounds so good, doesn't it? It all sounds so good because I get to choose. It's all about an anthropocentric life where I get to define my identity and my life becomes all about me. This is the mold that our, that our culture is squeezing us into. And a lot of us don't even realize that it's happening, but it's going on each and every day. But the truth is, guys, the truth is that a life that is lived for oneself is truly no life at all. Now look, I know it goes against what we're told on a daily basis. That the messages preached from the pulpits of entertainment and power are all the same. Just do what you want to do and take what you want to take. Decide what's best for you and then just do it. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't consider anyone else's needs or rights. It's all about your wants and it's all about your rights and it's all about you being the best that you can be. But we know how all this has worked, right? I mean, we see the results. We see the fractured relationships. We see the mounting debt. We recognize the horrible addictions and the overdoses. We experience firsthand the anxiety and the isolation and the paranoia and the depression. A life that is lived for oneself is truly no life at all. You see, we don't have the privilege of defining ourselves. We don't have that privilege. And there are even limits to how we can even reinvent ourselves. And the reason is simple. 
We have been created already and defined already by God. That's who we are. It's who God made us to be. So let's go back just a minute to something that we looked at earlier. We talked about the Apostle Paul saying, hey, don't be squeezed into the mold. We, we looked at where he says, you've got to be careful where you walk. You've got to be careful how it is that you're living. I want you to look at something he told to some Christians in Ephesus. Before he encouraged them to be careful how they were living their life, he reminded them, he reminded them that God wanted to and that he had rescued them from themselves. And so he writes to them and said, guess what? You are God's masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. And he has created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do good things that he planned long ago before you even knew about it. He planned you for some wonderful things. Now, guys, I know we've seen this passage a lot, especially if you've grown up in church. If, if you're a Jesus follower, you, you've probably seen this. You've been a part of Bible studies, and this verse has popped up. If, you, if you've never highlighted, I would love for you to do that in your Bible. I don't want you to miss where it says, look, you're God's special creation. You're his masterpiece. It's a Greek word that, that we get our word poem from. You see, every Christian is God's creative work. He re, he's, we're the restored work of art. You are his story. You're his story. That's your identity. And, and you know what that means? It means that you're a product of God's vision and that God had a plan and he had a purpose. You were God's creation and that God decided what you could be and should be in order to accomplish the good things that he prepared long in advance for you to do. You see, we exist to glorify God by being a blessing in this world. In this world that doesn't support our God. In this world that doesn't recognize his authority. In this world that would rather destroy the people around them than to see them built up. We exist to glorify God in that world by being a blessing. We were created and recreated with his purpose in mind. And once this starts to become clear to us, once we realize that we were never meant just to take our talents and our abilities and our experiences and our opportunities and, and our desires and our education and then run off somewhere all along by ourselves and just do as we please, we recognize that instead of doing that, we were intended to run toward the pain and the suffering and the heartache of this world, then the unstoppable purpose of God begins to unfold. We are to be God's blessing story as we exist for God's glory. But we talk about all this, and I guess we, we gotta answer this question, right? Who actually are we? I mean, who are we? Who, who, what's our name? What's the title of our story? Well, near the end of your Bibles, there is a verse that, again, I'd love for you to highlight this. I'd love for you to write it on a sticky note and put it on your window, put it in your car somewhere have some way that you can remember this all the times that you were feeling squeezed by the world and, and being told this is how you should act and, and this is who you really are and, and this is all that you are good for. It's 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. And it says, see how very much, see how very much our Father has loved us for he has called us his children. And that is what we are. Man, I love that. He says, here's your name. You are his. You are his masterpiece. You are his story. You are his 
child. Who am I? I'm a child of God. That's my name. That's my identity. And guys, because you are his, you don't have to be or become anything else. You don't have to allow anyone to take away or to alter your true identity. You have a choice as to the mold and the shape of your life. You have a name. You're his. So don't confuse your present or your past or your future circumstances with your identity. Don't confuse your address with your identity. Know who you are. Because just because you live in Babylon, just because you live in a culture that does not honor God, doesn't mean you have to change your name. Don't be who the culture says you are. Be who God says you are. Don't be who you feel that you are. You be who God knows you to be. Be who God says you are. You are his child. And so we're going to sing together a song that, that reinforces this. We're going to sing together a song that, that talks about who I am and who I am with God and talks about what God has done with us. And guys, as we sing this, if you're one of those individuals who, who has just felt that squeeze in your life, where you felt like you, you had to be something to be able to fit into a group, that you, you, you had to, to act a certain way, you, you had to think certain thoughts, you had to do things a certain way in, in order to be accepted. If, you've, if you felt like that if, if in order to belong you had to put away your, your godliness, you had to check your God name in the car before you went inside, if you felt like you had to leave your godly identity behind before you went to college or before you go to work or before you got into this relationship, if that is who you feel like you have become, then guys, listen to the words of this song. Maybe you don't even need to sing it. Maybe you just need to listen as everybody else sings. And allow God to use this moment to remind you who it is that you really are. To remind you of your identity. You're not who culture says you are. You're not, you're not who you just feel you are in the midst of your circumstances. You are God's child. That is who you are. So let's stand and give him praise.